0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you this morning uh, back to our series, uh, True Love. We are grateful to have you with us this morning. So in this series, the premise of the series, True Love, is that, um, that we are trying to really get a handle on what God teaches in Scripture And in this series, we're actually building it on the idea that love is defined by and found in a person, and that person is God, as affirmed by Jesus Christ. So Jesus came to affirm that God's truest nature is love, and not just any kind of love. There is a unique kind of love that we find in the New Testament. It's the word agape. Talked about it the last couple of weeks. And this is a unique brand of love that is unique to God. Jesus actually says it's this kind of love, God's kind of love, that is really the defining attribute of we who are followers of Christ. John's Gospel, chapter 13. By this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By what? if you love one another. In other words, if you God love one another, by that, people are gonna recognize that you belong to God. Now, contrary to the way that, that love is, was practiced and defined by the Roman Greco culture and also by our culture today, God's love is not a feeling. It's not emotion-based. It is a love of the will. God's love is a love that wills to love us even when our wills don't bend to his. God's love is a will that chooses to love us even if we don't choose him back. God still chooses to will to love us. So the last number of weeks, we've been kind of building upon this idea of what agape love is, this God will love. And there are several different portraits we have, and ways that this idea of agape is portrayed in Scripture. Jesus calls it the new command. The earliest leaders in the Christian church and those responsible uh, and chosen by God to author and pen the words of the New Testament, they actually call it love the royal law. And they call it an outstanding debt. Perhaps this also is what Jesus has in mind in these words by way of invitation to us. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, a yoke was simply a wooden implement that was used to tether two oxen together. The purpose was that this farming implement was used to enable these oxen to do more work in the plowing of fields when they were tethered together. Here's the question this morning. What is Jesus referring to when he invites us to take upon us his yoke? You ever thought about it? It's the only time in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that Jesus uses the term yoke, this particular term. He doesn't use it anywhere else. So it's an isolated case. And he doesn't really tell us specifically what he is referring to when he's talking about the yoke. But I have a hunch that the yoke he's referring to here is God's love. So last weekend, I came into our service um, not feeling 100%. A couple of days prior to Sunday morning, I had... A really raw throat. In fact, I wasn't sure last weekend how well I was going to do getting through uh, two services. Uh, Throughout the day on Sunday, my throat continued to get worse. And by Sunday night, I I was confident I had strep throat. So I made an appointment with a doctor on Monday morning. And I went in to see the doctor. And fortunately, my test came back negative for strep. But the doctor said, you have a viral infection in your throat. And he prescribed me six-day, a six-day pack of a steroid, which I finished yesterday. So why I'm a little hyper this morning, it's because I've been on steroids, okay? Well, Monday afternoon into Monday night, what began as a viral infection in my throat turned into a full-blown cold. By Tuesday morning, I was not feeling well at all. And I don't know if you're anything like me, But when I'm not doing well physically, it can affect me emotionally, and it can affect me spiritually. I don't know if you're like this, but when I don't feel productive, I can begin to question my value and my significance. I I can begin to wonder my importance in life. In fact, maybe you're like me in this sense that that you can really start to go hard on yourself and be really tough on yourself when you're feeling useless. So this past week, I decided to intentionally do something different as we're in this series and I've been teaching on true love. I decided that instead of letting myself emotionally go the way that I contend to go, I decided to intentionally marinate in God's love. Love for me. In other words, I decided that I'm going to just take this extra time to give myself permission to rest and just allow God's love to go deeper inside of me and guess what happened? The world went on without me. God still handled things without me. And something happened in me emotionally and spiritually that was really pretty significant. I was beginning to feel something that I generally don't feel during those times. So back to the question, what is Jesus talking about when he says, take upon you my yoke? I do not believe that Jesus here is telling us to pick up some kind of work. I think what he's doing is he's inviting us to trust in the work he's already done. He's saying, listen, you don't have to do anything but all you have to do is get tethered to what I provide you and in that you are going to find true rest for your souls. Read it again. It is not our yoke that he invites us to take up. It's his yoke. And I think what Jesus here may very well be saying is when you accept my yoke of love, all of a sudden everything else Gets placed in perspective, and your soul finds true rest. In fact, Jesus goes on in verse 30 to say this For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, make no mistake about it, love can sometimes be a burden. But when we take the yoke of love upon us, the burden becomes lighter. We all of a sudden are not feeling like we've got to do something for ourselves, but rather we can just accept what God has already done for us. So love is a new command. Love is the royal law. Love is an outstanding debt. And I would propose to you today that love is also a yoke the yoke of God upon us because when we do this and we take it upon ourselves, we can treat ourselves like Jesus treats us, gently and humbly. That's not how I treat myself very often. Now with that backdrop in mind, I wanna move us to the next stage of this true love this morning. I wanna take us to a very familiar, what may be a very familiar passage to some of you here. But I want us to pray that God will give us new eyes as we come to this passage today and as we see it for what God is teaching us. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. Here's the story, verses 34 through 39. When the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment? Jesus replied, you must love. You must love. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus here defines the first and greatest commandment as love. He says unequivocally that the most important commandment that we can aspire to in our lives is the commandment to love. Now, the Jewish people were obligated to over 600 written and oral laws. The Bible is filled with hundreds and hundreds of commandments. And listen, it would have been very possible for Jesus to come. He could have added dozens and dozens more commandments to us. He could have heaped more stuff on us, but he doesn't do that. In fact, he says, I wanna just give you a summary word that actually sums up all the 600 plus commandments and that word is love. In fact, if you will obligate yourself to this particular commandment, It will satisfy all the others. Verse 40, that's what Jesus says. The entire law. So think here now, the Old Testament, all 39 books of Hebrew scripture. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. when you read the word commandment in scripture think rule these were literally rules that were intended to be followed and yet jesus summarizes all the rules by saying there's really only one rule and the rule is that you love that's the rule is that you love Which brings us to this morning's big idea. If love is the great commandment, then loving well is the rule of the Christian life. If love is the great commandment, as Jesus said, then loving well is the rule of the Christian life. listen this morning. Loving well is not a goal of the Christian life. Loving well is the goal of the Christian life. Loving well is our greatest opportunity, and it's also our highest responsibility. In fact, let me say this. I think from the words of Jesus, here's what I think Jesus is saying. I don't want you to be an expert in anything and worry about being an expert in anything as it comes to commandments and laws and rules except one. I want you to be an expert at love. I want you to have a PhD in love. I want that subject to be the single subject that you focus your life upon because if you do that well, you're going to satisfy and fulfill everything else that God is asking of us in the scripture. Now, Jesus does something really unique in the great commandment. In the great commandment, what Jesus provides for us is what I will call a trinity of love. Did you know there is a triune nature to Christian love? Love has multiple expressions. It's one thing, but, but it has multiple expressions. Just like God is one, but God's personality is expressed in three very distinct persons. Love is very much like that. Love is central, love is one, but love is triune in nature. And that's really what Jesus actually presents to us here in the great commandment. He says the great commandment is about loving God multidimensionally. It is about letting God's love flow through you in several different expressions, several different focuses. And each one of these are important. So what I'm gonna do this morning is I wanna take the first two of them. We're gonna save the third for next weekend. And I wanna take these focuses of true love and I wanna help break them down a little bit for us and drill down on them today because I think they are so profound for what Jesus is inviting us to and requiring of us as Christ followers. Here's the first one. True love focuses upward. Now, it's a little bit of a misnomer for me to say, to love God is upward. But we understand that language, so I'll use it this morning. God is not just upward. God is in all three that we're going to talk about. But I want to help us understand that it begins in the beginning point of the commandment begins with loving God. So Jesus clarified what he meant. He said, you must love. And then he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. I mean, all your mind. Mark's gospel actually adds, and all your strength. So, so Mark actually adds a fourth to the equation, which is a summary. I really like the way the Passion Translation captures Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38. Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. What did Jesus have in mind? When he uses this word, and it's actually a legal word, some translations say, You shall love, not you should love, but you shall love the Lord your God. It's a legal term. What he's saying is that love for God must come in three different expressions, and here they are. First, our love for God must be heartfelt, it must be heartfelt. There are 800 references to the word heart in the Old and New Testament. 800 of them. And almost none of them refer to the physical pump that circulates your blood. They refer to something much deeper. Something much more center to our being. So, A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Valentine's Day. Um, And I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that on Valentine's Day, I came to Kelly and here's what I said to her. I want you to think about how this would have gone. Kelly, I've got a card and a gift for you and I'm giving it to you for three strategic reasons. The first strategic reason is I am your husband. The second strategic reason is it's Valentine's Day. And the third strategic reason is a spouse is supposed to give a card or flowers or chocolates or a gift to their spouse on Valentine's Day. So here you go. Enjoy. How many of you think that would have gone over? Very well. Listen, here's the deal. Kelly does not want my obligation. She wants to be the object of my affection. Kelly does not want to be my duty. She wants to be my delight. She wants to know that she's the apple of my eye. She wants to know that when I have an opportunity to say, I love you, I'm going to say it to her out of the depth of my heart where it is so heartfelt. And listen, God does not want our love in a mechanical way. God does not want us to love him because we feel some obligation to love him. God wants relationship with us, which means God wants to feel our love from us. Do you remember the first time that you Said to somebody, somebody special to you, somebody important to you, somebody, maybe your spouse, that you really care deeply about. Do you remember the first time you said to them the words, I love you? Your palms are sweaty. You got a knot in your stomach. You're a nervous wreck. Why? Because you're wondering, are they going to accept or reject it? Are they going to reciprocate that love back to you? Are they going to say anything in return? Or they're just going to look at you and say, that's nice. Which leaves you feeling really vulnerable, doesn't it? That's a thing about love, isn't it? Especially when it's expressed from the heart. Is heartfelt love leaves us feeling a little vulnerable, doesn't it? Because we really don't know how the person is going to respond to us. We don't know whether they're going to accept our love or reject our love. And I want to say, when it comes to our relationship with God, you know what? I believe God wants to hear us say the words, I love you and mean what we say. Now, some of you, that's really hard for you because you didn't grow up in a home that was very expressive. You didn't grow up in a family that expressed emotion or love very easily. Maybe not ever. Maybe you never grew up hearing those words, I love you. And that feels really foreign and awkward for you to say to God, I love you. Well, listen, I would encourage you to start practicing it because God wants to hear us say it. God wants our affection, but he doesn't just want our lip service. God wants it from a heart of affection. And we can't have that unless we have first, in a more deep way, integrated, and metabolized God's love for us first. And when we do that, loving God back is really easy. But until we do that, loving God back is very mechanical. Our love for God must be heartfelt. I'll give you a second thing I think Jesus was suggesting. I think Jesus was saying our love for God must be honest, must be truthful. I think it's what Jesus meant when he said, love the Lord your God, With all your soul. Do you know that your soul is the truest and most honest part of you? Did you know that the realest part of you is not the part people can see? The realest part of you is your soul. It is actually the place where whether you say it or not, you are most honest. You're most truthful. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever fudged the truth with God? Here's what I mean. Have you ever said to God what you thought God wanted to hear rather than what you were really feeling? I have. I've put my best foot forward. I've tried to impress God with being spiritual when I didn't feel spiritual, a feeling like I was at a good place when I really wasn't at a good place. I don't just try to fool others. I've tried to fool God. And let me ask you this question. What is the source of that dishonesty? I would suggest the source of that dishonesty is mistrust, that we don't think God can handle our honesty if we're really truthful. Let me say that I believe love and trust are differing sides of the same coin. I don't think you can really say you love someone if you can't trust them. And I, and I don't think it's possible to deeply trust someone that you can't say you love. I, I think those two go hand in hand. And so, when it comes to our relationship with God, here's what I think Jesus is inviting us to. He's saying, love the Lord your God in an honest and truthful way. I had somebody say to me not too long ago, I feel angry with God. And I said to them, tell him. Tell him. Because God wants relationship with us, which means God wants to, us to invite him into what we're feeling. Hey, God knows it anyway but God's longing for relationship and he doesn't get it unless we invite him into it. And it's our honesty that invites God into it. God does not need to be treated with kid gloves. God God is not a child. God can handle our rawest, deepest, most painful, most real emotions and God wants us to share them with him. It's the truest part of who we are. And I'll talk more about that in a few moments. Here's the third way that I think Jesus is saying to love God our love for God must be thoughtful. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your mind, not your brain, but with your mind that part that runs through every cell in your body, every part of your being. You know, I I went through a a thing called the five love languages a number of years back. And I learned that in the five love languages, they say that everyone has one of them as a primary love language. Mine I identified as words of affirmation. But as I've grown in my life and I've grown in my self-awareness, my love language is actually one that doesn't appear there. It's probably a combination of two of them. My real love language is thoughtfulness. And when somebody is thoughtful, when somebody gives a word of affirmation and I know they've thought about what they're saying in advance and well thought out, and it's coming from their heart, that matters more to me and it means more to me than just some flippant comment of encouragement or statement that somebody will make. Not that I don't appreciate those, but it's the thoughtfulness. So when I think when God, when Jesus said that we're to love the Lord our God with all our mind, I think here's what he's saying. God wants and deserves our thoughtfulness about how we're gonna love him. And I don't think anything communicates thoughtful love more than attentiveness. Attentiveness. When we fail to give God our undivided attention, when we fail to make God the center of the focus of our life, here's what I think we're saying. I think we're saying to God, I love you, but I really don't love you to give you my full attention. I don't love you that much. Kelly and I were talking a few days ago and she was sharing something with me. And I responded like, "Uh uh-huh, However I responded, it wasn't proportionate to what she had shared with me. Guys, you ever been there? I mean, she, she responded by saying, you're not really listening to me, at which I started to backpedal and defend myself. And in truthfulness, I wasn't really listening. I wasn't dialed in the way I needed to be with her. Here's, and here's what that says to a person. When we are not giving them our full attention, what we're saying is they're not important enough our full undivided attention. That's why we're to love God with all our mind, because God wants to be the focus of our love. And that's so critical, because it sets up all the other focuses that we're gonna talk about. Romans chapter eight, verses seven and eight, here's what it says in the message. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God. When we, are, when we are absorbed in ourself, guess what? We ignore other people too. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing. And God isn't pleased at being ignored. Neither are you. Neither am I. So Jesus said, listen, if you're gonna have true love, it's gotta focus upward in the sense that you are loving God in a heartfelt way, you're loving God in an honest, truthful way, and you're loving him in a thoughtful way. You're actually giving him your attention. And then Jesus makes what I think is a pretty profound statement about the great commandment. By the way, I want you to notice it isn't the great commandments. That's not what this passage has been called. It's been called the great commandment for a reason. And here it is. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 39. The second most important is similar. Now, in the original language, here's another way this could be translated. It could be said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then it could be translated like this. And here's another way to say it. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. This is not another way and another commandment, another, uh, simply another aspect of love. It is love in and of itself that is now being presented and manifested in a differing way. But make no mistake about it. Jesus here is saying to love our neighbor as ourself is to love God, and to love God is to love our neighbor as we love ourself. Now I'm gonna be really honest with you on this second one. This one's a little tricky. This is a little tricky for us because the second form of this love is that true love focuses inward. Jesus said. It is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This one often gets overlooked or lost, very minimized in Christian circles. And I think to our own detriment. Because I think Jesus here is saying this if you are incapable of loving yourself, you'll be incapable of loving others. And I think he's also saying, if you don't know how to love yourself, you're not gonna really know how to love God. Not well. Because you've been made in God's image. You've been made in the very likeness of God. Now, you might be like me, and this one's been a journey for you. I've been in journey on this one for years of my life, but it all culminated a few years back when life and I were... Uh, sharing a meal together at Panera Bread. He was sharing with me that day, and somehow our conversation led to um, his words of affirmation to me of my worth and my value, my significance. And if I remember, he was talking about how significant my leadership is here at Grace Crossing Church. And, And here's what I found so interesting about it. I spoke to him in that meeting at Panera Bread, Out of the deepest part of myself, the part that was truest of how I felt, in a way that even surprised me. I remember I retorted and I said to him, I don't believe that. I don't actually believe that I'm valuable. And I had tears as I was sharing what I was feeling. It was just a couple of days later. We were actually meeting with our church board and we were going through a book at the time called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And we were in a chapter on knowing yourself so that you can know God. And in there, there is a comment by an author that actually is repeated in several of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship devotionals. And I'm gonna read an excerpt from it, uh, this to you today out of my uh, the spirituality, day-by-day devotional. Here's what, here's what we were, began talking about and what one of the board members wanted clarification on. And it stirred me back to our conversation. And I recognized that God was doing something in me to bring his love to me in a way that maybe I was still resisting. Here's what the author, Peter Cazero, writes. Bernard of Clairvaux, A.D. 1090 to 1153, the abbot of a Cistercian monastery in France was perhaps the greatest Christian leader and writer of his day. In his great work entitled Loving God, Bernard describes four degrees of love. Here they are. Number one, loving ourselves for our own sake. Number two, loving God for his gifts and blessings. The third degree of love, loving God for himself alone. And then the fourth degree, loving ourselves for the sake of God. I remember the first time I read these words a number of years ago, long before we introduced emotionality spirituality here at Grace Crossing Church. I, I remember I was on a journey in this. And I remember the first time in my first devotional, I I went back and looked at it, and I remember my response to this was I, I wrote in the margin, I can't even wrap my mind around loving myself for God's sake. Can't even wrap my mind around it. And before I read you the response that I wrote in this devotional just a few years back, I wanna share with you this. I have never struggled To love myself for my sake. Just ask my wife. Never had a tough time with it. The problem is loving yourself for your own sake is very selfish. It's very self-centered. It's very self-absorbed. It can be very much about you. And there's all sorts of displaced loves out there that are telling us to love ourselves and make good choices, but it's nothing to do with God. That's not what we're talking about here. Early in my Christian journey, I had an easy time loving God for his gifts and blessings. I had no trouble loving God for his gifts and blessings. The problem is I didn't feel like I loved him very much when I didn't feel his gifts and blessings. And I even grew to the point where the third degree of love was burning hard in me. It was burning brightly in me. And that was loving God for himself alone. Like I grew to the place where I could love God for him. But this fourth one, Loving God for, loving myself for God's sake, I was struggling. It was what poured out of me in that day that really was a, a meeting in Panera Bread that honestly changed the trajectory of my journey in this area of loving God. Here's what I wrote several years ago, and I read these with gratitude because I'm not here anymore. But I cannot say that I still don't feel these from time to time. This might be where some of you are here this morning. Here's what I wrote. Here's the question. Where do you see yourself on Bernard's love and list of the four degrees of love? I wrote, I'm still learning to love myself as God loves me. I don't feel like I'm worth loving. So I live to prove my worth, and earn God's love. This affects the way I live, the way I love, and the way I lead. Why do I refuse to love myself for the sake of God? And I wrote, because I don't feel that I'm worth it. Here's what the author goes on to say about loving ourselves for God's sake. He says, the highest degree of love for Bernard was simply that we love ourselves as God loves us. In the same degree, in the same manner, and with the very same love. The love, the self, we love the self that God loves, the essential image and likeness of God in us that has been damaged by sin. That's what we love. Now listen, I... I think it's interesting that John, the apostle, writes this. He says, how can you love God whom you've not seen if you do not love your brother and your sister who you do see? Let me say that another way. How can you love God whom you have not seen if you do not love yourself who you live with? who you are with every single day. What John is suggesting is it's impossible to say we love God if we don't love ourselves and we don't love others. It's impossible. Let me say it another way. How can you be in tune with God when you are out of tune with yourself? How can you be present with God if you're not present with yourself? And what I want God to do in our hearts today is I want God to help each one of us to make a commitment to move on that scale toward loving ourselves for the sake of God. For the sake of God. We are created in God's image. There is something in us that he will always love even in its brokenness. He'll always love it. God will never love it any less because it's his very nature. In us. So as we close this morning, I'm, I'm going to ask you to hold two things and ponder two things this morning. The first one is this: where am I in the four degrees of love? Here they are again. Loving myself for my own sake. Loving God for his gifts and blessings. Loving God for himself alone and loving myself for God's sake. Where am I on those four degrees of love? Here's the second thing. And by the way, let me just say this. Don't judge where you are. Like, like don't condemn it. Just be aware of it. Just be mindful of it. And just be honest with God about it. Love Him from your soul. Here's the second one. What one step can I take this week to love myself for God's sake? I did that this past week. Giving myself permission to rest and saying, you know what? The world is going to go on without me, but I'm just going to rest in God's love. That was my way of loving myself for God's sake. I I don't know what that step is for you, but my encouragement is pray and ask God, is there a step I can take this week to love myself for God's sake? Could just be taking some time out of your day to have a daily office with the Lord and a time of quietness before him. Could be going and doing something special Maybe it will just bring you alive that you've been neglecting yourself of, but, but by doing it, you're loving yourself for God's sake. I don't know what it is, but God does. So I'd ask you to hold it before him. Bow your head, please, in silence for just a moment, and then I'll lead us in prayer. As I pray, I ask that you'll receive this blessing that the Lord wants to offer you today Father, into your hands we commit our spirit, our heart, our soul, our mind. We don't know how to love you as we ought. But we receive your great love for us today. And we pray that in response to that love that we'll learn how to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. And help us, God, to love ourselves for your sake. Keep each one, Lord, I pray, in the palm of your hand. Hold us in your great love for us, I pray. And let us be encouraged as we move through this week that we are dearly and deeply loved by God. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening.